0: So as you're sitting down, if you'll go ahead and get your Bibles, we're going to be in Lamentations chapter 3 today. So three weeks ago, Tater and I came up here on an afternoon to welcome our mission team back from Orange, Texas. We had over 30 go to Orange and do mission work down there for a week, and I remember whenever all those vehicles pulled back up at the church, I I was excited to see the faces as they got out. And you have never seen such an exhausted group of human beings in your life as those kids and those workers whenever they got out of those cars. I'll say this, if you if you enjoy mission trip light, you know, those kind of mission trips where you go to Hawaii and you prayer walk the beaches. <laughs> you know, that's, it. that's mi- don't go on mission trip with uh, Edge students because when they go on mission trip, they go on mission trip. And they came back, their bodies were absolutely exhausted, but I could also tell that their hearts were full because they had spent a week, and how proud I am of our students, to spend a week of their lives investing and in helping other, other people. Have you ever noticed that Doing the right things in life can be really exhausting. You try to be a a caring person, you try to be a good parent, you want to be that person at work that actually does what you're supposed to do and be successful in your career, and you try to, through all of this, walk in godliness, and it can be frustrating and it can be tiring. So school just started. How many of you, teachers and parents, first week of school, you're already worn out? How many of you? <laughs> yeah, quite a few of us, we were just beginning, and we're already worn out. Now, it may surprise you that the Bible contains a book of complaints. <laughs> the book of Lamentations is essentially a book of complaints. Here's the scene, 587 BC, everything falls apart for God's people, the nation of Judah, Jerusalem was in Judah. The Babylonian Empire marched into their city, and they conquered the holy city of Jerusalem. So these folks lost everything. They lost their temple where they worshipped. They lost their dignity. They lost their freedom. Many of their possessions were taken from them. In some cases, they had family members killed. Other cases, moms and dads watched their children be taken into slavery and children watched their parents be enslaved as well so the book of lamentations is raw it's loud it is a book where people are emotional they are confused they are hurt in some ways it is a book that shows us That human suffering is part of the reality of life here on earth and that we can bring the rawness and openness of our suffering to the Lord. You see, difficulty and struggle are as ancient as Eden. God doesn't want us to run from our hurts and the pain of struggle is often the stage of growth. So there are five poems in "Lamentations." Each one of the chapters represents a poem, and each of these poems are, are tightly ordered, which actually contrast the chaos of the emotions. In chapter two of "Lamentations," you begin to discover that the suffering that the people had endured was actually in large part because of their actions. Frequently, they had done things that they shouldn't do, and they were now facing the consequences of their actions. And you also begin to see in chapter 2 that there is something called the wrath of God, and that there are times when God disciplines His children. In fact, uh, it attaches the fact that God loves His children to the fact that He's willing to discipline them. Now, you see this in the Bible, on several occasions, in Proverbs 3, in Hebrews chapter 12, you see that God disciplines the one He loves. Now, let me just take a quick side trail here with a parenting moment with, with Latch. Uh, part of loving your children is appropriate discipline. And those of you that are parents... Those of you that are grandparents, you just get to play with the kids and give them back, right? Lots of candy and lots of spoiling and all that. But those of us, actually it's parents and grandparents, we, we have a responsibility to love our children, to teach our children, and then in appropriate ways also discipline our children. It's okay to say no sometimes. It's okay to come into conflict with that fit because you have a love for your child and you're wanting to discipline them. So when you get to the third poem, which is chapter 3, it features one man, and he is crying out to God, and he begins reaching this conclusion. So all this suffering that we went through, God loves us enough that he is willing to teach us and to discipline us, and so the man reasons that if God loves us so much that He's willing to correct us, then He must also love us in such a way that He's willing to bring new mercies to us. And so this all sets the stage for one of the most encouraging passages in all the Bible. In fact, it's really the only upbeat section in the entire book of Lament. Set right in the middle of all the anguish and the pain are verses 22 through 24 of chapter 3. Look with me there. You may recognize these words from some songs. Because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish, for His mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say the Lord is my portion, and therefore I will put my hope in Him. So here's my goal today. I want to be an encouragement to you. And I want us specifically to look at these three verses and look at three truths from these verses. I hope that God uses them to speak to your heart no matter where you are today. If you're in a difficult time right now, pay close attention. You need these truths. You say, right now, Lash, my life's pretty easy. I'm doing okay. Well, store this one away, put it in the vault, because one day you'll need the truth of this passage. The first thing that I want you to realize is that God loves you with a faithful love. God loves you with a faithful love. Love is one of the most overused words in our American culture. We use the same word to describe our deepest emotions that we use to describe our favorite food. We even use love to describe a really, really good Facebook post. We love it. And, and often our love is conditional if someone meets certain standards then we love them and if they don't then we don't love anymore and so we tend to have this conditional idea of love so my three-year-old is still figuring out the the concept of love now since the moment that he was born Stacy and I have told him, I love you. Is there anything in your world that melts your heart more than when a little toddler tells you, I love you too, right? It just melts your heart whenever you have that moment. But now, my son's three, and so he's still figuring out what love is and, and what it isn't. And so if you tell him, sometimes if you tell him no, you can't have a second ice cream right now he may tell you well i know love you no more at that point okay now here's a second parenting moment with lash okay don't become part of the drama okay it'll be okay they're three they're working through their understanding of love don't you know it's don't let it destroy you okay work with them so here here's what i do i, I look at them calmly. And I say, well, I want you to know, I will always love you. Nothing you do or say is going to change my love for you. But you still can't have a second ice cream. (laughs) So this is dealing with a three-year-old who's trying to figure it all out. But at age 33, if he's still renouncing his love over ice cream, then we have a problem. Love is supposed to mature. Our understanding of love is supposed to mature. We're supposed to grow in our, our realization as what it means to, to love someone. And, and figuring out love is part of the maturation process. It takes time, but it's meant to grow up. And mature love is this faithful love that is described here in the passage. It's the love that God displays towards us. In the New Testament, it might be referred to as the agape love, the unconditional, the self-sacrificing love that truly wants what's best for another person. Immature love will move in and out of relationship. It will refuse to take responsibility. It sees everything through the lens of selfishness. Immature love may look very appealing at first. It might be very attractive, but whenever you go deeper, it can lead to great, great pain. And God loves us with a faithful love. I think this is what Jesus was talking about when he told his disciples, all right, here's your mission. You're supposed to go and make disciples. And you're supposed to go to the ends of the earth. So what this means is that following Christ is going to take us into some uncharted territory. There's going to be times where we don't have all the answers and where we don't really know what's going on but jesus said know this no matter where you go i will never leave you nor forsake you why because god has a faithful love for us god's wrath has been satisfied through christ's death and resurrection so god loves his children in christ and when your faith is in christ you are secure The Bible says nothing can take you out of the hand of Christ because His love for you is faithful. Even when you misbehave, even whenever you do things wrong, you are secure in His love. He doesn't love you for your loveliness. This isn't apple Christianity. He loves me, He loves me not. He loves me, He loves me not. God loves you faithfully in Christ. So digest that today. God loves you with a faithful love. Secondly, because of God's faithful love, His mercies never end. In fact, the Scripture gives the imagery here that they are new every morning. So, you go an entire day and you're exhausted and you've extinguished all your energy and you've poured yourself into everything and you're not sure exactly how you're going to keep on going. And we remember that his mercies are new every morning. September 13th, 1814. There was a lawyer by the name of Francis Key. And he found himself cowering down. He was in a British truce ship. He had gone to try to negotiate the release of a prisoner and in the midst of it he had gotten caught in a battle. It was the height of the war of 1812 and the British ships began firing upon Fort McHenry. Fort McHenry was a strategic fort just outside of the city of Baltimore and so this had the potential to be a pivotal moment in the war of 1812. Now put yourself in this guy's position. Imagine sitting in a boat and watching through over the river and seeing a fort where some people you know are inside and seeing those bombs hit that fort all night long. Imagine not knowing if you would never see another sunrise. That's where he was. Well, he made it through the night and dawn came. And so Key looked across the smoke-filled river And he saw that Commander George Armistead had raised the flag. It wasn't a white flag of surrender. Instead, it was the American flag of freedom. So Key became inspired, and he pulled out a letter, an old letter from his pocket. And on the back of that letter, he captured the moment in poetry. He was a wannabe poet. And so he wrote a poem entitled, The Defense of Fort McHenry. Well, a few weeks later, the Baltimore Patriot published this poem and they matched it to the words or to the lyrics of a popular, or to a tune of a popular folk song. Eventually, that became our national anthem. In 1931, the Star-Spangled Banner became the national anthem of the United States. You know, the poems of life are often written in the dawn's early light. Now, I get it. We we want it to be easy. We we want things to be tranquil. But you can't have fresh vision until you've journeyed through the darkness. Sometimes we don't realize that part that healing, that new beginnings occur in the dawn's early light. I, I'm not telling you to embrace pain. I'm not telling you to become sadistic and just say, I, I want more pain. But in life, pain will eventually embrace you. I'm also not suggesting that if you just think happy thoughts, it'll all go away. Hey, let's just, let's just say some positive words today and I'll make everything go away. But I am saying, you can't have the dawn without the night. And I can testify to you today that on the other side of pain, there is strength. And purpose can rise from despair. This is part of the lament of humanity that sometimes we have to go through the difficult moments. Yesterday at 11 o'clock, I stood right here and there was a family sitting right there who had lost a loved one. And I read to them the 23rd Psalm. And I reminded them that when it comes to the valley of the shadow of death, you cannot go over it, you cannot go around it, but you have to go through it. And there are times in our life where we go through a difficult moment and we feel as if it's the night, but whenever you're going through the night, know that God's faithful love takes you through and His mercies are new every morning. And eventually the sun will rise again. And when the sun rises again in that dawn's early light, some of the great poems and memories and strength of life is found. Because God has a faithful love for you, His mercy is never in. He hasn't given up on you. He hasn't given up on your family. He hasn't given up on our church. And what's more, He never will. Remember the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness? Great is Thy Faithfulness, what? Oh God, my Father. There is no, turn, no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not. Thy compassions they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. There's a third truth. That I want you to capture today, and that is because the Lord is your portion, you may faithfully place your hope in Him. The Lord is our portion. I never will forget my first day at Parkview Elementary School. My dad had accepted a call to be a pastor at a, a new church, and so I had to change schools. In fact, I started a new school right at the end of spring break. And I went from my favorite teacher ever, Mrs. Franks, at E Ray Elementary, to the meanest teacher I'd ever had, Mr. Holly. At, at I'm, I'm kidding. It wasn't. It, I'm just kidding. Oh, oh, poor Dusty. No, he doesn't deserve it. It wasn't, it wasn't Dusty. It wasn't Dusty. Dusty was probably two at that time, but. But anyway, so I went to the meanest teacher I'd ever, I'd ever had. Sorry, Izzy, it's, I still love Dusty. And, and I remember lunchtime, and so I went down to the school cafeteria. You remember whenever you used to have to get those little chips they would give you, and you'd trade it in for your lunch, and you'd get that rectangle pizza that came on the big, tr- big tray. It had the seeds on it. Ugh. Yeah, and so I, I gave the chip, and I got my tray, and the lunch lady, God bless the lunch ladies, and, and she, she plopped down a piece of lettuce, and then she had like an ice cream scoop, and she scooped some tuna fish, and she plopped it down on top of the lettuce, and then they gave me my tray. I think there was a pretzel rod and some grapes with it too, and, and I was like, Ugh, this, this is my portion? We didn't do this at E-Ray. Let, let's try this again. How about a little Hutchins barbecue? That'll work. How about some Chick-fil-A nuggets? That's what I'm talking about right there. I mean, I don't like this Portion. Hope is only as good as the object or the person in which you place it. And unfortunately, we often misplace our hope. In church, sometimes we place our hope in our friends, and then we can get disillusioned whenever people let us down. In our careers, we sometimes place our hope in our success. And we envision getting that job, we envision breaking through that ceiling, and we think, man, if I can just get to that point, then all my hopes will be fulfilled. And then we reach that point, and it's still lacking. I remember my own life, whenever I was pursuing my master's degree, I was the first person in my family to, to go get a graduate degree, and I thought to myself, man, whenever I get my master's degree, then, then I will have accomplished something. And so I got the master's degree, walked across the stage, and I'm thankful for the accomplishment, but the next day, I was still the same person. It didn't fulfill all my hopes. For some of us, the story of our life could be captured in two words, misplaced hope. Over and over again, you have placed your hope in people or things or organizations, and they've let you down. And it's really easy to begin trading trust for skepticism, to trade curiosity for cynicism, and rather than extending love, we begin extending anger. And like me in the school cafeteria, you're like, this is my portion? This is what life is giving me? This is what I get? Hear me on this. Life will never satisfy when our hope is placed in fading sunsets. Hope is found when our portion becomes the one who never fades. Satisfaction is found whenever you begin truly finding your joy in those things that never go away. The one who never fades, the one whose mercies are new every morning, the one who loves you with an enduring, faithful love. Temporary things cannot bring you lasting satisfaction. That's why when you leave here in a few moments, you're going to go to lunch, and you'll probably leave lunch stuffed, feeling full, but then in a couple hours, you'll be ready for dinner. Because it doesn't bring you lasting satisfaction. But when the Lord is your portion, then you can place your hope in someone and something that is real. And the Lord doesn't give us empty words and false promises. He gives us Himself. And He doesn't just give you Himself for the 100-year window that we call life. He gives you Himself for all eternity. I know it's hard. I know it's exhausting. Just trying to do the right things. And you think about all the unknowns. You ever go there? All the things you don't know, all the fears of fear that you have. Guys are like, I never go there. Well, yeah, you do. All the unknowns. All that has to be done. In fact, some of you are thinking about all that has to be done right now. You're saying, Latch, will you please hurry up? Because i got lots to do. Please, just take a deep breath. Breathe. Let's try it. Breathe in. Breathe out. Just breathe. Know that God is at work. God is doing things that you can't control, that you can't understand. And God will give you the strength to make it through today. You say, well, I want the strength today to make it through the next 30 years. It doesn't work that way. He gives you strength today, and then tomorrow His mercies are new again. And He gives you strength to get through that day. But know this. You're not alone. You ever ask the question, why is it that we come together each week? Why are you here? Why don't we just all sit at home and watch the live stream or watch someone on television? Why why be here? Because when we gather here, it's people from the community coming together to open the word of God, hear from God, worship his name, give to his ministry strengthen one another and as we gather we remind one another you're not alone there are a lot of great people in our community who are living their life for christ and they're trying to do the right thing and they desire to worship god to grow in his word to serve joyfully and they're praying and asking god to give them a contagious christianity that draws other people to the cross so look around the room for a second it's your church family our songs our prayers the time where we open up the word and let the word of God teach us our giving our love our hope they testify that we're in this together and because of that, we can say, the Lord's faithful love will allow us to never perish. For his mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will put my hope in him. Would you be so kind as to stand with me, please, as we bow our heads and we come to a time of commitment? The band's going to come and lead us in worship. I'll be here at the front. If there's anything that I or Stacy may pray with you about, it's our joy to do so. Father, I thank you for our church, and I pray that we might be filled today with an awareness of your faithful love. Thank you, Father, that you have promised to never leave us nor forsake us. Lord, as we enter into the gates of worship today, I know that some might feel really, really tired, and perhaps we even relate to the people of Lamentations. We're a little raw, a little confused. And so we bring our hearts and we bring our lives to the altar of worship. And we remember that great is your faithfulness. We remember the mercies that you've had upon us in our journeys thus far. Those mercies that have brought us to this now moment. And we look forward to the fact that your mercies will be new every morning. Father, for those families, for those marriages, for those individuals that find themselves in the middle of the night, I pray that you might give strength to make it through the night. and May they understand that often the greatest moments of vision, the stories that define their life, will be found in the dawn's early light when they have traversed through the difficult time. Father, may our church know of your great love for them. May they know of the love that I have for them. May we walk with one another, loving one another, and leading each other to be totally committed to Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. It's all about you, Lord, not about us. It's about you. May we live our lives for you. In Jesus' name, amen.